We've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Erica Reamer. Beware the Ides of March. Today, we welcome one of America's foremost psychiatrists, Dr. H. Stephen Moffick. He'll discuss the confluence of COVID-19 and burnout. Nationally recognized professional auditor, coder, educator, and author, Terry Fletcher, reports on the social determinants of health. We'll get the latest coding news from Lori Johnson. Dr. John Selim is at the Tuesday News Desk. And Dr. Reamer presents her talkback segment. Now here's the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and a man who has two pickleball courts in his dining room, Chuck Buck. Uh, thank you. Yeah, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to the 499th live edition of Talk 10 Tuesday. Good morning, Erica. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone. I'm going to really miss you. I'm not going to be here for the 500th edition, uh, but no, we're gonna, we'll we're, do it today. We're going to miss you as well. And uh, as you heard Clark say, it's the Ides of March. Yes. Caesar was assassinated in 44 B.C., don't kill the messenger. Yep, that's the big message. I think there's something really coincidental, though, about today being the Ides of March, because it's also, if you might recall, it's the second anniversary of our country shutting down because of COVID-19. Now, that was like two years ago in March. Oh, yes. I remember the day vividly. I had just returned from Hawaii recuperating from my own case of COVID-19, and I didn't see my dad in person for months after that. Yep, I remember. And COVID-19 also exposed gaps in our health system infrastructure, denying health care services to many of America's disadvantaged communities. And that's what Terry Fletcher will be reporting for us today. And then there's burnout. It seems to be burning out of control like the wildfires out here in the West. And, of course, to sort all of this out for us, we've asked Dr. H. Stephen Moffick to be on our broadcast today. The burnout in health care is a precursor to the staffing shortages we are going to be experiencing for years to come, I'm afraid. That's so true. But today, what's on your radar screen for your talkback? I'm going to be talking about efficiency in the EHR for providers. Always look forward to hearing your talkback segment. We have much news, and we begin this morning with Dr. John Zellum. He's at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is brought to you by ICD University Bookstore, reminding you to save 20% when you purchase the Social Determinants of Health webcasts and packages. Just enter the coupon code SOCIAL22 at checkout. Get comprehensive help to correctly use the ICD-10 CMC codes to report social determinants data. Now available at the ICD University Bookstore. Here now is Dr. John Zellum. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, all. My little talk this morning is just very simple. Is burnout a failure of work-life balance? We've all seen so many theories as to why burnout occurs. One that I shared with you recently a couple weeks ago regarding emptying of our emotional bank. Since I personally experienced burnout years ago, please allow me to share my story along with some principles associated with it. I've always had a challenge with personal work-life balance starting at an early age. I wanted to be a doctor since the age of four, and I did succeed, at least that's what they tell me. Tremendous sacrifices, heartbreak, and celebratory events lined the journey, too many to recount. I pretty much loved what I did initially, but I had my moments, actually many of them towards the end of my, my practicing career, when I sat and said, I hate what I'm doing. Then at the age of about 56, I made the decision to transition out of clinical practice. I was burned out. I entered the corporate world and the rest is history. I continue to be busy and have never uttered again, I hate what I'm doing. Recently, I read this article called How to Achieve a Healthy Work-Life Balance 
from the Indeed editorial team on 12-16-21 and realize here is another why burnout occurs. There are eight tips and sharing them can demonstrate that burnout may actually be a failure of work-life balance, which is sometimes unavoidable. There is a reference to this article that can be provided, but going through the eight steps. One, limit perfectionism. Professionals in particular almost always want to be the best in their area, yet there is a difference between working hard and perfectionism. Number two, leave tasks and projects at work. In today's world, which includes working from home, this can be quite difficult. And I will admit that I took my work home with me and my patients in my head thinking about them all the time. Number three, gauge your health. How many missed meals or unhealthy food choices did we make or how many neglected doctor visits did we, did we have? Number four, participate in personal hobbies. Not enough time or too tired to do so. Golf, which was one of my, one, one of my personal hobbies, fell into the, into the uh, to-do category many times. Number five, spend time with loved ones. How many missed holidays, birthday celebrations, etc.? I remember on a Christmas Day celebration being called out at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and not returning home till the following morning because of emergencies. Number six, assess your personal needs. What's important to you? Number seven, establish your own balance. Do you get fulfillment from spending more time at home or at work? And number eight, love your career. It needs no further explanation. Considering all levels of people who experience burnout, as it is not just limited to those in professions, everyone, yes, everyone experienced the pandemic, which is or was, as we say, hopefully, an extreme situation. How is their work-life balance? How many of the eight tips can be clicked off as successfully achieved? Years ago, my score was certainly not 100, but very much below. Thanks, Chuck. Back to you and looking forward to episode number 500. Thanks, Dr. John Zellum. That was Dr. John Zellum. Dr. Zellum is the founder and the CEO for Streamline Solutions Consulting. It's the Ides of March. It's March 15th, Tuesday, and you're listening to the 499th live edition of Talking Tuesday. Stand by. Hospitals might find clinical validation denials to be especially challenging due to provider inconsistencies in diagnosing certain conditions, such as sepsis, encephalopathy, and myocardial injury. Does your organization use internal definitions to promote compliance? That's a good start, but payers might not abide by your internal controls, leading to clinical validation denials. You need a collaborative approach involving all members of the mid-revenue cycle team, including coding, utilization management, and clinical documentation and integrity professionals. The best place to start is by attending an upcoming webcast. Here, you'll learn how to appeal and prevent clinical validation denials. Leading this important ICD-10 Monitor webcast is Cheryl Erickson, who will walk you through key aspects of clinical validation denials. That webcast is this Thursday, March 17th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Now is the time for the Talked in Tuesday Coding Report with Lori Johnson, and good morning, Lori Johnson. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica, and hello to our listeners. Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting is, is over now until September 13th and 14th when we'll have the fall session. 
CMS and the CDC have already posted the meeting materials and the recordings on their respective websites. CMS has also posted a document titled Post-Meeting Q&A, which contains questions that were submitted using the Q&A feature during the CMS portion of the meeting. The CNM meeting had a very full agenda with lots of participation by medical societies, AHIMA, AHA, and interested parties. Some conditions that you might want to comment on are the coma revision, wasting disease, insulin resistance syndrome, Parkinson's disease with off episodes. Comments for the diagnosis proposals are due by May 9, 2022. For the procedures, you may want to review the Xcode updates, which is an analysis to delete, um, develop a code outside of the X section, or to leave the code in the X section. So it's a pretty, it will be a pretty big change for that section. Insertion of fenestrated sacropelvic fixation system the ex vivo autologous hemopoietic stem cell gene therapy, and the administration proposals that were not reviewed during the CNM meeting. And those contain administration of various types of drugs and substances. April 8th is the deadline for commenting on the procedure proposals. Please read my article, which provides the links to the CMS and the CDC materials and recordings for the CNM meeting. So there's lots of information out there to get the background on the new codes that are proposed for October 1st, 2022. And with that, Erica, I will give it back to you. Thanks, Lori. You know I've already made my comments. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is a senior healthcare consultant at Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Chuck? Thanks, Erica. And Lori Johnson, thanks again. Be sure to read her outstanding article on the Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting wrap-up. It's in today's edition of the ICD-10 Monitor. Now's the time for our Tuesday Focus, and today our Tuesday Focus is on the social determinants of health. Here now is Terry Fletcher. Good morning, Terry. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, listeners. So social determinants of health are an individual's personal circumstances that impact their health and well-being and quality of life risks. They include political, socioeconomic, and cultural factors alongside how easily someone can access health care, education, and a safe place to live, and nutritious food. Again, these things can impact the health and quality of life of a person. However, when trying to track these patient population objectives, we need physicians and healthcare providers to do their part to capture this data. During many of the ENM audits and the evaluation and management audits, which are patient, outpatient, inpatient encounters, I see this information is documented but missed in the ICD-10-CM code capture, which makes it impossible to track data. With more focus on social determinants of health, public health organizations and their partners in each area can take action to improve the conditions in people's environments. Social determinant of health workgroups have been established with the cooperation of government agencies, including CDC, HRSA, NCHS, to name a few. Members of these work groups are experts in various areas like health equity, health disparities, economics, vulnerable populations, and other social determinative health matters. Their five key domains are economic stability, education, health and healthcare, neighborhood and built environment, social and community context. 
So focusing on economic stability and health and healthcare, one in 10 people in the United States still lives in poverty, according to the, according to the U.S. Department of Labor and Statistics. Many can't afford healthy food, healthcare, or shelter. Those with stable employment are more likely to be healthy. In addition, people with injuries, disabilities, or conditions like arthritis or diabetes might face limits in their ability to work at certain jobs. Organizations and government policies can also help people pay for housing, food, healthcare, and education to improve their quality of life if they have the information needed to make informed decisions regarding a patient's health status relating to their social determinants of health. So consider this, around one in 10 people in the United States don't have health insurance. These people are less likely to have a primary health care provider and might not be able to afford the medications and medical services they need. So a patient goes to a community clinic for painful urination and the patient is prescribed the antibiotic tetracycline to treat the UTI. The patient did not take the medication as prescribed, which resulted in polynephritis or a kidney infection. It was later found out that the patient was not able to afford the medication so she only took half of the prescribed medication to save more for later, not realizing that not taking the medication as prescribed could trigger a detrimental effect like causing the kidneys to swell and permanently damaging them. The only ICD-10 code that was reported was the N10, acute polynephritis, but where's the complete story on how the patient got there? If the provider had known or surveyed, surveyed the patient further, the diagnosis of N10 plus T36.4X6A, underdosing of tetracycline, initial encounter. This is the underdosing code, would be the secondary code. And Z91.120, patient's intentional underdosing of medication. This additional code explains why the patient regimen due to financial hardship was not taking medication as prescribed. It is important that physicians help to capture social determinants of health from an ICD-10 perspective this is the only way that these health disparities can be on the forefront of change. Within each social determinant of health, there are many objectives with a variety of specific topics. These objectives are measurable and focus on high priority public health issues. Experts are trying to use this data to track how each objective has progressed over time. They base this on growth, but progress has stalled because the information is so hard to track without good data from appropriate sources meaning you are healthcare providers. So baseline only, this refers to goals that don't have any data yet because initial baseline information, we're trying to get, we're trying to have progress there, but it's really hard to capture. Target met or exceeded, experts can show that they've met objectives or exceeded the goal. Same with improving. Little or no detectable change, it's really hard because growth has occurred, no growth has occurred to fulfill this objective. Experts have also found that they're farther from the goal on things that are getting worse because, again, they don't know where to start with the lack of information. We really need all healthcare providers to contribute as much data as they have available on individual patients. That can help meet these objectives and, in turn, see better outcomes for populations lacking in healthcare services. All it takes is knowing the ICD-10 codes for social determinants of health and how to capture during an encounter. Erica, back to you. Thank you, Terry. And I know that there are some really good webinars on this topic uh, that can be found in ICD University. Check them out. That was nationally recognized professional auditor, coder, educator, and author, Terry Fletcher. Chuck? Thanks, Erica, very much. And Terry Fletcher, thank you. Be sure to read Terry's excellent article in today's ICD-10 Monitor, and we will be right back with more news. But first, this important message.
Dramatic constant change is now the norm for society and for healthcare. With so much upheaval, you must adopt new practices and protocols, including how you access continuing education. In-person conferences are not always possible, but it's important to stay current with ICD-10 coding, best practices, and the latest rules. And CEUs are still needed to maintain professional credentials. Get critical continuing education today with a subscription to ICD-10 Monitor Educational Webcasts. For one affordable annual fee, everyone on your team gets access to dozens of exclusive ICD-10 Monitor Webcasts on a comprehensive range of timely topics. Is an ICD-10 Monitor subscription right for you? Visit ICD10Monitor.com to learn more about a webcast subscription. At the top of the broadcast, you heard us mention about this eerie coincidence that's occurring. Today, of course, it's the Ides of March. It's also the second anniversary of our country shutting down. And today there's widespread reports of burnout among all Americans, and in particular, doctors and other healthcare professionals. And these professionals are in all settings, including psychiatry. So here to give us context and perspective is Talking Tuesday's resident psychiatrist, Dr. H. Stephen Moffick. Dr. Moffick, what is going on? Well, what's going on, Chuck? Besides what Dr. Zellum told us earlier in the broadcast about burnout, I'm afraid it's learned helplessness. Just in case you haven't heard about the legendary frog experiment, it goes something like this. Throw a frog into a vat of lukewarm water. If you slowly heat it up, the frog will not attempt to escape, but eventually be cooked to death. It can happen to humans in real life in many ways, including from slowly developing climate changes and business-controlled medical care. In learned helplessness, the subject generally perceives a lack of control, sees no way out, and gives up. The control may be real, perceived, or metaphoric. In burning out, the basic process is increasing control by the system of the worker, as in healthcare systems, putting obstacles in place for physicians and other workers in order to be able to help as they can and want to. This is a social determinant of decreased mental health. Rates of physician burnout have been increasing since around 2000, as for-profit managed care businesses took control over more and more medicine and was up to epidemic rates by 2015. However, right before the pandemic, the rates had plateaued and dropped a bit across specialties as attention was paid to the problem and such actions in establishing chief wellness officers were put in place. But no wonder that the undue stress and obstacles of the pandemic, from being called heroes to then being called villains and personally threatened, has produced another escalation of burning out in physicians. The annual Medscape survey indicated that the rate of burning out to some extent has increased from 42 to 47 percent over the past year. Nurses, as adversely affected as physicians, traditionally called this moral injury, as their value to help patients gets compromised. The consequences are worrisome, both to the mental health of the victims and to the quality of care of patients. The solutions? First, recognize that you are burning out because it can be insidious, and you can still be satisfied with work to some extent as you're burning out. If administrators are not monitoring, then use any of the common measures to do so. The system needs to improve not only by removing obstacles and engaging workers, but adding the secret ingredient, some compassionate love. If not, the other solution is to leave the system, and unfortunately, in rare situations, suicide is chosen. 
There's only so much that can be done with personal wellness activities like work-life balance, exercise, and meditation, as good as they are, but they can also divert the necessary attention to the systems. It is the Ides of March today, when Caesar ignored the warning of the seer and, like the legendary frog, paid with his life. Not only should leaders in Ukraine and Russia pay mine, but we in healthcare, other workers, and even parents would do well not to ignore the slowly warning dangerous waters of our situations. It isn't hard to predict the reverse outcomes to patients and us all if we don't pay more attention to addressing this raging fire. It is treatable. Back to you, Erica. Thanks, Steve. That was Dr. H. Stephen Moffick, our own Talk 10 Tuesday resident psychiatrist. Chuck? Thanks, Erica. And Dr. Moffick, thank you very much. Dr. Moffick is an award-winning author. He's also the recipient of the Administrative Psychiatry Award from the American Psychiatric Association and the American Association of Psychiatrist Administrators. Now it's time for a very popular segment here at Talk 10 Tuesday. It's called Talk Back, and it features our own Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer, what's on your radar screen? A while ago, I read an article from the AMA entitled, With Two New Patients a Day, Medical Scribes Are Profitable in One Year, by Sarah Berg. As we have been discussing today, physicians are experiencing burnout directly related to spending excessive time managing the medical record instead of the patient's medical care. This article led me down a rabbit hole of other references and some AMA with CME credit provided modules regarding scribing, team documentation, and eliminating inefficiencies derived from the EHR. Here's what I learned. The number of additional patients per day to recoup the cost of the scribe varied according to specialty and whether the patients were new or established. The addition of two new or three returning visits per day resulted in profitability across all specialties. There are two models, the clerical documentation assistant or CDA model, where there is one dedicated CDA per physician who accompanies the provider into each patient encounter and their sole purpose is to assist with record keeping. This is the traditional scribe model and the scribe is anchored to the provider. Then there's the advanced team based care model, where there is a set of nurses or medical assistants who perform both clinical support functions and do the clinical documentation. They do pre-visit duties like take preliminary histories, set up orders for health maintenance tasks, and review medications. They return with the provider and scribe during the visit. They do post-visit provision of med list, visit summary, and patient discharge counseling. This model anchors the assistant to the patient, freeing up the provider to travel to the next room, patient, and medical assistant. There is a significant increase in provider and patient satisfaction with the use of team documentation or scribing. In the AMA Steps Forward module from 2014, they detail the process to effectively design and implement team documentation. In a nutshell, you need to determine who will participate in whichever model selected, start with a pilot of motivated personnel and use it on a limited basis initially, design and plan the workflow within your system, and conduct weekly touch bases to assess, review, and tweak the system. Another click of an embedded link led me to an article from February 2020 regarding a program implemented by Hawaii Pacific Health called Getting Rid of Stupid Stuff. 
The concept of this initiative is to identify and eliminate EHR inefficiencies. Please see my article on ICD-10 Monitor for the links, but here's the essence. Employees, including healthcare providers, were enlisted to identify interactions with the documentation experience which they perceived as being poorly designed, unnecessary, inefficient, or just plain stupid. The justified suggestions fell into three broad categories. Never meant to occur and should be eliminated promptly, 10%. Needed but could be more efficient, 75%. Required but not understood. That is, those tools existed already, but the user was unaware of them, 15%. Actions included elimination of fields or tasks, adaptation of templates, decrease in the number of clicks required, removal of gratuitous alerts, and education of providers of capabilities already built into the EHR. The healthcare system was surprised at the amount of time and money saved. Decrease in documentation burden increases job satisfaction and productivity. A final suggestion comes from my own repertoire. Providers should compare tips and tricks with their partners or colleagues. The first day of my PA orientation, I saved a seasoned CETUS 20 minutes a day by teaching her about the trend function in our EHR. Up until then, she would sequentially open up labs to compare them day to day. Another tip is to import and utilize colleagues' acronym expansions or macros. The best people to improve efficiency are the ones who use the system and need to be efficient. Anything the system can do to improve the function of our medical staff will improve our lives and the care of our patients. Thank you, and that's back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Erica, very much. Next Tuesday, March 22nd, marks our 500th broadcast of Talk to Z, and it's going to be sponsored by our good friends at Ahima, and we thank them for that sponsorship. Also, Maria Bunos, who was one of our earlier presenters on Talked Into, is going to be co-hosting with me. We have some surprise guests coming along as well. And I want to thank you all very much for listening to us since 2011. We appreciate it very, very much. And that's going to be a wrap for this, our 499th live edition of Talked Into. And I want to thank our panelists today, Terry Fletcher. Terry Fletcher reported on the social determinants of health. Terry Fletcher, thank you very much. Lori Johnson had the coding report. Lori Johnson was telling us today about the CMS Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting, which wrapped up last Tuesday. She had a coding report that was kind of a wrap-up on those meetings, and it's in today's ICD-10 monitor. Be sure to read that. But to Lori Johnson, thank you very much for being with us. Special thanks to Dr. John Zellum, who's sitting in for Tim Powell at the Talked In Tuesday News Desk. Thank you, Dr. John Zellum, for your candid report about how burnout has affected you personally and professionally. And Dr. A. Stephen Moffick, thank you for reporting our lead story on burnout. And as always, we appreciate your being with us. And I want to thank our co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer. And remember, you can listen to all the Talk to Tuesday broadcast on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And when you do, rate us. Give us a review. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck reporting for Talk to Tuesday. And I see Tim Bonner to have a great week. And we'll see you right back here next Tuesday for our 500th live broadcast. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.